0: We approach that today. We come looking at God judging everyone on what they do. His x-ray eyes looking into our very hearts. Every part of our life. This is the natural system. And so my question is, where are we? Are we on solid ground? Have we actually started going over the cliff and we're kind of clinging with our fingers, looking down? Where are we? We're going to examine that today, make sure we know where we are. And first, what Paul's going to do is handle the very best argument for not being under that system of being judged by law up to this time. The best argument was being an Israelite, being a Jew, having a special relationship with God. And he's just gotten off saying, it's no use. You can be circumcised, it's about what you do. You can have the law, it's about did you do it. But here comes an interesting argument. Three pieces. We're going to first look at this argument. It's absurd. It's wildly unreasonable. It's really interesting. Jewish unrighteousness doesn't block God's faithfulness. Look at verse 1. Then what advantage has the Jew? What is the value of circumcision? He's just gotten off, telling them that there's not any value for judgment, that God's going to judge you based on what you do, whether you follow the law if you had it, or whether you followed any law that's written on your heart, the works of the law, some conscience that you might have, that gets judged. So why be a Jew? What's the value of circumcision? And then he says in verse 2, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. He's going to get sidetracked right there. Much in every way. And then he gave us one thing. Actually, keep your finger here and turn over to Romans chapter 9. Just take a quick look. We won't we won't pause here too long. He's got lots of great things that you get if you're an Old Testament Jew, if you're an Israelite, if you've got this long connection to God. Look at verse 4. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Oh, how fantastic if you're in that line. You get Abraham. God chose him out. You get to be part of the covenant community, the promises of God that he'll never forget. You even get to be in the line the nation from which Jesus Christ came. Whoa! How cool is that? It's kind of like saying, you know, my uncle's Michael Jordan. Oh, could I meet him? But that's not where he goes here. Looking at Romans chapter 3, he gets sidetracked right away. As soon as he says, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. To begin with, the Jews got the oracles of God. Have you ever read the oracles of God? Funny word, huh? Oracles. Yeah, God's very words, right? God gave his words, his revealing words of who he was. His revelation was given to the Jews. That's easy to see. They got it. The other nations didn't. Abraham was chosen. Moses got the law, but also the Torah, all these promises and words and revelation. Deuteronomy 4.8 says this. What great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Psalm 147, verse 19, God declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise Yahweh. Wow. So, much in every way. This is, okay, I get it. God, they had great advantages. But they didn't follow God, and and so here's the follow-up question. Well, what if some were unfaithful? Says verse three. Does their faithfulness nullify the their their faithlessness? Nullify the faithfulness of God? You see, is is that the, is that the ticket? It's it's totally. God gave them all these advantages, and then they're kicked to the curb. You know, because they were faithless, and it nullifies God's promises and words to people. Is that is that the ticket? No way, says Paul. By no means, he says in verse 4. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Okay, if you've started this passage with me this morning, you're like, wow, when do we get to the good stuff? Because this is just kind of flowing over my head. Realize what he's doing. See what Paul's doing. He just quoted out of Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's prayer. Remember that? David and what David actually says in Psalm 51, 4. He says, God against you and you only have I sinned so that you are found just when you judge. You are found faithful when you judge me. This is David who's in the line of Christ, who was still in the line of Christ after he sinned. But what did he do? He went and he killed somebody. And he committed adultery And he says to God, "No, look, my my adultery and my sin recorded now here in Psalms as I repent before you, Lord. It just reveals how awesome and just you are. So that's that's a different thought that hey, the the sin that people do it just contrasts how perfectly holy God is. You ever thought about that? That when you sin." and all the sin that's out there, it just contrasts the purity and wonder of a most holy God. That's what Paul is saying. No, 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 no. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. Look at David even saying that his sin just showed the righteousness of God. That brings us to the argument that's really interesting because the argument is, really, at the end of the day, we've approached a cliff. We're all going to be judged by what we do. Isn't there some out here? Isn't there some way that really, you know, God shouldn't judge us, and we'll take the Jews, because the Jews are God's special people, and and I I know they're going to be judged for what they do. But, But look, but look, here's the flow, but look, even when they sinned, it just showed how awesome God is. So God won't judge that, right? Verse 5, if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, this is the history of Israel. Our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God. What shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us, I, I speak in a human way, says Paul. You see, over and over, God showed through the Old Testament, look at, look at my people Israel. They again and again and again and again went against God and over and over God says, oh, I take you back. He even rose up prophets, raised them up to, to show. One prophet, you probably know him, Hosea. says, oh, go, go marry a wife that'll be unfaithful to you. And then she went out and was unfaithful to him and says, take her back. She went out and was unfaithful. Oh, take her back. She went out and was Oh, take her back. See, Hosea, you're me, God said to him. I'm faithful with this unfaithful people. And their unfaithfulness shows how faithful God is. So so if if they're just a pawn in God's hand, God won't actually judge that, right? It'll turn out okay. By no means, he says in verse 6. By no means. For how then could God judge the world? See, see, isn't the whole world that way? That the whole world sins and God is in contrast to that. It's not just the Jews. It's not just the special people God has. It's everybody. It's so bad and God is so good. The divide is so wide. We miss this. We don't. We want to bring it closer. We want to judge our righteousness and God's together. And it's absolutely unable to be reconciled. And he says in verse 7 But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? You see, if. If the ends justify the means, and here I am doing evil, but you know that just highlights how awesome God is, God should be happy. Why not then, verse 8, do evil that good may come? Okay, do you see how we got there? See how we walked along this thing saying, oh look, even our evil glorifies God, so in the end God should just save us all, especially as special people, come on. What does Paul say? This is the logical extreme of saying God will not judge everyone equally. Surely there is some reason here with the Jewish people, hear them revealing God's righteousness. Here, maybe, maybe you should do evil so that good may come. We can all do lots of bad stuff because it'll just highlight how great God is. And what does Paul say to that? Why not do evil that good may come? Verse 8, as some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. Their condemnation is just. Well, what's his argument? I thought that was kind of interesting. The, let's do more evil because it will just show how great God is. What does Paul say? Absurd! I'm not even going to answer it. If that's where you are thinking, your condemnation is just. You're thinking you can do evil in order that God can get glorified. God and evil don't belong in the same sentence, not even in the same paragraph or in the same room. Right? So that's what's happening there in that first paragraph that affirms God's faithfulness to covenant people while not stopping, while not shying away from the judgment of the Jews. And think about it, 1,500 years, five times longer than America has been in existence. God had a special relationship with those people, that nation. He'd chosen them. He promised them. He interacted with them. Their privileged position, even their highlighting of God's glory, that doesn't give them an escape from the wrath of God. Wow. So so, so question, what about us? Think you have a pass? Maybe. Maybe you don't need a pass because you're okay. You know, I'm okay and you're okay. But there's a problem. There's a problem if you're there because Paul's adamant, adamant. I love the word adamant, absolutely unyielding. He will not shy away. He will not turn back. He will not soften. I soften all the time. You guys comes to me and I have to say something strong. You know, you got to stop doing that. No, 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 no. I know it's hard. I, I I know I know that I know that it's really difficult because they've hurt you or I know the thing, but you really have to stop doing that. It's really hurtful to you. that's me, fallenness here's Paul judgment Paul judgment he's adamant. let me show you he's adamant. look at verse nine. what then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. If We've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. You see, everyone's not just going to be judged, which was the point of chapter 2. Everybody's judged. But here's the ticket. Everybody's judged and found wanting. Guilty. Under sin. That's the charge. And then here he goes. He quotes this list of Old Testament passages, one after the other. Look at verse 10. As it's written. Follow along, says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Okay, I know you because I know me. I read that and I say, well, I'm not in that passage. I mean, really, come on. Look, Look at it again. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Is he really saying no one? Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. I don't try and use my tongue to deceive, do I? That their venom of asps is under their lips. That's like that's like really bad stuff. What, what what is he doing? What is what has he done here that accuses me so strongly? Here's what he's done. Here's Paul. He's gone to the oracles of God that are so valuable, and he's taken out actual verses. And he strung them together to say, they're you. So here's what you want to do. You can do it this week. I'll run through with you really quickly just to show you how. This is what you want to do. You want to go back. They're in your Bible. You can see there's, what you do is you look and there's a little, little letter usually. And, and you can see, oh, this comes from Psalm 134. Or this song. You go read those Psalms. You go read those Psalms. Here's the first one. Look at Psalm 14. That's where he starts. Psalm 14. Say, Is this me? What is God saying that convicts me? Psalm 14, verse 1. It says this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Okay, they're into the flow, but did you see he left out the first part but that's that's an accusatory part towards you. The fool says in his heart, there is no God because what he said is, this is all you, you all do this. You say in your heart, there is no God. This is talking about us without Jesus. We haven't gotten to the gospel but 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 everyone, everyone says there is no I, I don't I believe there is a God. yeah, but the very first time that you or me does something for me alone, selfishly. What are we saying? There is no God. The very first time I cut a corner and I say to myself, it'll be okay. I've judged this already and the ends justify the means. What have I done? There is no God. And the Bible says you're a fool. That's what Paul's saying. If you notice, as you look at your quotes, most the ESV does this. It does it rightly. It puts quotes around each one. So you see that verse 10 and 11 and 12 are all from Psalm 14. Verse 13 there in Romans chapter 3, if you look, it says, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Let's look back to Psalm 5. That's what he's quoting. Psalm 5, the oracles of God. Verse 9 says, There's no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. There it is, right there. But he goes on. Look what he says. Make them bear their guilt, O Lord. That's part of that very next verse. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall down. I plead with you for righteousness, O God. Here's God being pled by the psalmist. That he might indeed judge what is worthy of judging and it includes us all. The venom of is under their lips. That's Psalm 140. Sorry. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. I want to look at that one. That's Psalm 10. Go over to Psalm 10 and take a look with me. Psalm 10 verse 7. His mouth this man who's prideful and arrogant. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. So he pulled that right out of, of, of Psalm 10, verse 7. Look, who is this man? Look at verse 4 of Psalm 10. Who is this guy? In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek God. All his thoughts are, there is no God. See, when we do those things, when we curse, we just have a little curse. Come on, I just, I'm just a little bitter. You know, bitterness is found because we look at our circumstances and we start to say that not, they're not fair, and in our heart there rises more and more. Right? Bitterness in our heart that comes out of our mouth because we don't think other people are treating us fairly, and pretty soon I'm the judge, and I say it's not right, and it's not right, and it comes out of my mouth. When I do that... Paul says, quoting Psalm 10, You're this guy. In the pride of his face, the wicked doesn't seek God, all his thoughts are there is no God. Do you not think God is just? Do you not think God is x-ray vision and will see and make right whatever injustice you've suffered on earth? No, I'm bitter. Okay, you're convicted. You're condemned. Their feet are swift to shed blood, verse 15 of chapter 3 in Romans. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. Okay, this isn't from a psalm. Now he's actually pulling from Isaiah. Take a look at that for a minute. I implore you to spend some more time in these psalms, to dwell on them. But we're just taking a, a quick peek of what Paul is quoting, and there he is in, in Isaiah 59, verse 7. Their feet run to evil. They are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they haven't known, says. Who are these people? Look at the beginning of chapter 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so he doesn't hear. He's talking to Israelites there. And he's saying, look, when you sin, you, you, us, we've made a separation between us and God. There's a fault line between us and God. You see what sin does? Under the law, any imperfection, oh, it judges, it separates. That's us. Without Jesus. And then finally, that last one, verse 18, it says there's no fear of God before their eyes. We're taken to Psalm 36. We read it this morning. Look, just last one. We won't keep flipping, but last one. Psalm 36, take a look. You heard it. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before their eyes. For, look, it keeps going. Verse 2, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out. And hated. Okay, that's the most condemning one of all. It says that the wicked, and Paul's saying that's everyone. The wicked says deep in his heart, I can get away with this. The wicked says deep in his heart, no one will find out. The wicked says deep in his heart, it's okay. My wrongness, my twistedness, my sin, my little evil can be hidden and tucked away and not be found out and hated. Hated by who? By God! I just want to make the point we've walked through these these are him pulling out the Old Testament the oracles of God which is oh man perfect here it is showing and he's pointing at us at every single living person and saying guess what all of these texts in the Bible and Old Testament so when you go back and read Psalms and you think of your natural state even your natural state trying to do good without Christ he's saying you're the guy that's wicked. I don't like that. You know, I read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who sits not in the seat of scoffers, but he find No, I, I want to see myself as the one who's planted by the tree of life, but actually without Jesus, I'm the guy that's condemned. Psalm 15. Who can come into the presence of God? Who can stand in His holy hill? And it starts listing off good things. And you know what? It's not talking about me. It's not talking about you. Because the, the, the the picture of us in the Old Testament is the evil one. That's what Paul's doing. He just, he just did it seven times. Pull, 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 pull. This is everybody, you guys. The fool. That's you. Everybody. No one seeks after God. No, not one. Now, the argument might be for the Jew. I just want to put one caveat in here. The argument might be for the Jew. No, wait, 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 wait. Dax. Sacrifice system. Remember. We, we, I know, I know we did sin. I know we aren't perfect. But you know what? We did sacrifices so that our sins were covered. So that God stayed in relationship with us. There's this sacrifice system, you see. And you've missed it. Blood was poured out. Animal blood for us. Here's the problem. Paul says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Paul ends with, here, the the wicked says in his heart. And all these animal sacrifices that they did, they covered the behavior. By the time you actually do something, your heart intends it, and you go do it, and then you get the behavior covered, did your heart change? No. No. So it's okay, a a Jewish person, hey, this I sinned, I paid for it, it was forgiven by God because it was covered by animal blood, and that sacrifice that was set up pointing to Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, yeah, I'm with you, but how did it change your heart? How do you get your heart changed? Here's Paul, you don't. You have no leg to stand on. God looks with X-ray eyes. The oracles of God declare. Yet we try. We try. We keep trying. And yet, and yet, Paul says, every single mouth will be stopped, will be arrested. Look what he says. Verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, It speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. It's like Paul knows me because I read those things say, but, 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 but you don't understand. There's some, there's some extending many things going on here. But, but, Paul, wait. Every mouth may be stopped. The whole world held a cannibal to God. I hate to use it from the pulpit. Paul says, shut up. Doesn't he? You have nothing to say. You're like Job there looking at God's amazing holiness and you say, I repent in dust and assage, and I'm just going to shut my mouth. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. This tears us apart. Have you ever seen? I saw the other day again. Put it on the on the classroom wall. It was written. It was said. I will never rest until the good is better and the better best. What do you think? What do you think? If God's going to say it's not good, that's I love that. I love that. because God is going to say, isn't He? He's going to say, I need the best. I don't want your good. I want your best. And then what does He say? Paul here, you can't. You will never have your best. Because guess what? Inside, each and every person in this room, beyond Jesus, if you don't have Jesus Christ, each and every person, you're twisted. Isn't that isn't that one of the definitions of sin in the Old Testament? It's not just missing the mark like an arrow. Okay, I'm aimed, I'm aimed. You, oh no, I missed the target again. I sinned. No, one of the definitions is actually, you're twisted inside. You ever go out to the desert You see plants that don't get water very much these trees and they're struggling to survive, but they're twisted into these horrible looking shapes? That looks unnatural. That's you. That's me. I'm there too. So I can't best, sure, but, but all it does is condemn me because it shows me that I never get to the best. I, I'm not even at good. I can't be. I cannot be under this system that's just been laid out. I can never be a part of God's perfect world. You can't either. Wait, 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 Dax, you don't understand. One thing, I, I I'm okay. I can I, <laughs> I looked in the mirror this morning. I'm not twisted. You're not okay, right? You're internally stunted. The rules that we have, all these fantastic, oh, the law of God is perfect. It's so beautiful, and it shines perfectly at you that you are twisted. The law is a mirror; it makes you see you're twisted. So we, have, because it says right there, doesn't it? Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. It's not just any sin. It's not saying, "Oh, I know what's wrong." No, through the no- law comes the knowledge of your ugliness. Ugh law is this mirror, and it reflects back at me that I got this huge mass thrown on my face. I can't get rid of it. I put makeup all over it to try and hide it from everybody, but I got it sitting right there and it won't go away. Wait, 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 wait. I get all that, but you don't understand, Pastor. There's there's extenuating circumstances for me. You know what extenuating means? Outside, you know, there's, you understand, my, my particular life has been really hard. Unlike other lives, there's things going on with me. But you know what? They're not in this passage. There are no circumstances to hide behind. Well, you just don't know my spouse. No, I don't. But I know you. God knows you. Looking at you, Paul says, and through Paul, God, he says, I don't need to know your spouse. Looking at you is enough. Here's the worst because it's so deceptive. Here's the worst. You might say, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. I do love God. I I know God. I love his rules. I love his rules. and And God helps me be good. This is a Jew. I know his rules. You could be in this room today and say, you know what? I'm pretty comfortable with the law. I'm pretty comfortable knowing what God says to do and not do. And I do my very best to try them all. And you know what? I'm I'm okay. God even, you know what? I'm, I'm good with God. I'm not denying that there's a God. I'm not saying in my heart that there's no God. There is a God and he helps me be good. Some Christians even say stuff like this. Turn with me for a minute. We have just a minute. It's going to be fast. Go to Luke chapter 18. You've heard this. This is a favorite of mine. Because it's spoken so much to my heart. So in Luke chapter 18 and verse 9, our Savior is speaking. The Savior we're about to meet in verse 21 of Romans 3. We haven't met him yet. But our Savior saying this, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. You know this one, right? You've heard this one before. Here he is, Jesus is talking, and he's talking about two people. He's talking about one who trusts that he's righteous in themselves. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men, extorters, unjust, adulterers, even like this fellow tax collector over there. Look at all the things I do. you got to get this. He doesn't say this. He doesn't say, God, I'm going to stand in my good heaven because I've tried to be so good, and I've proved to you how awesome I am. That's not what he's wrong in. He says this, he says, Lord, thank you for helping me be a good person. Lord, I thank you because when I stand before your perfect law, by your help, the law will give me a green light. It's like going through those TSA things right now, yeah? You go through and you put your computer out and you put your no-taking drinks in or anything like that, and then you got to walk through. For some reason, when I walk through, it always buzzes. I think it's because I always I have changed or something so I can go take off my belt buckle or take off whatever and go through again. And you know what? When you when you get it just right, you go through and it stays green. That's so good. And then on the other side they take you and check you out anyway. But it's so fun to walk through and you just walk right through and nothing happens and no buzzes. I feel like, oh I made it. I made it. That's the antithesis of heaven. That's the antithesis of what the law does. The law buzzes everybody. The law never says to you, you're okay. The law never says to you, by God's help, you're okay. The God never says to you, I'll give you a big check mark because you know what? You're good. You made it. Now, some of you may be saying, oh, but I am. You know what? Because of Jesus, he makes me and he helps me be perfect. So now I can do the law. When you do that today, you're going against Romans 3. Because Romans 3 says, no one will ever. There was one, fully human, fully God. We'll talk about him next week. If the law judges you, you're condemned. The one who went away justified, declared righteous in Luke chapter 18, is the one who beat his heart and says, I have no hope that the law will ever say to me, I am righteous. If the law judges you, you're condemned. You cannot be a part of God's perfect world. You're twisted. The rules are a mirror to show you you're twisted. You see, there's a little quote from Jonathan Edwards. He wrote this great sermon called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. But I like this quote. It says, As God delights in his own beauty, he must necessarily delight in the creature's holiness, which is a conformity into and participation of it, as truly as the brightness of a jewel held in the sun's beams is a participation or derivation of the sun. Did you get that? Did you get what God he's saying? That God delights in his own beauty. What's God's beauty? Perfection. So what must he delight in the creature? Perfection. Oh, that we shine in beautiful perfectness and then we go around mocking God by calling holiness our little attempts at it. Do you see how wrong that is? There's got to be some other way if God's going to delight in our holiness because by the law, no one will be declared righteous. This is a holiness you cannot attain without some other radical way that we haven't hit on yet. So, But it's there because he said in verse 16 of chapter 1, God said through the writing of Paul, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because through it the righteousness of God is displayed. So what's this good news? I need to know it. I haven't heard it yet. What do I need? Well, what I don't need, we've seen from today. I don't need Old Testament light, Jesus or anyone, God, making the law okay for me. I don't need a superficial cleansing so that I have another go. I don't need uh, this idea that I'm sick and I just need Jesus to make me get over my cold. I don't need a a heart-shaped hole that I can just fill in a little super-duper power and now I'm okay and good to go and everything will be holy and awesome. Started, and we'll end with this. We said we were walking up to a cliff and if you're like me, fearful of the height, looking down at the depths of it, and I asked you where you thought you were, and I'd like to say this, without Jesus Christ, if you have your trust in you at all, you're not standing on that cliff looking down. You're not famously as Jonathan Edwards in his Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You're not hanging by a thread. You're not even clinging to the side you know, like those extreme rock climbers trying to hold on and grip a cliff. You're not there, the Bible says. The Bible says you're in free fall. The Bible says you just launched yourself without a parachute. I know it's cool these days to do cliff jumping, but cliff jumping involves something called a parachute. The Bible says if you're trusting in yourself at all, you've jumped off a cliff With no parachute, and the wind's going by your face, and the ground is looming up in front of you, your stomach isn't just a pit anymore, it's through your throat. And you're about to hit. It's not water, it's not a a landing pad, it's rock. That's it. You're not making it today. You're falling and you're unsavable. You have no way that you can reach out and grab hold of something yourself. Unless, unless, unless somehow you change, unless somehow you change from that slug that you are, into something with wings. Like maybe a butterfly. Unless you change into something else entirely, you won't survive. I'll make a deal with you, God, and I won't sin again, will not cut it. And if you know Jesus today, you say, I am, I'm a butterfly, don't you dare. Don't you dare go back and put yourself under the very thing that condemned you to death. We don't have time to go to Galatians 3. That's what Paul says. What are you, crazy? That's what condemns you. This is why we breathe. So we might, you and I, together in humility of heart and brokenness, cry out to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, putting all our trust in Him. Because that's the only way we don't end in a big splat. We'll look at that next time. It's right in front of us, starting in verse 21. But Think on those things and pray with me now. Father, thank you that we get to look at these passages. Thank you for the depth. Lord, the perfect system you've set up. Lord, we confess perfect are all your ways. Perfect is your law. Oh, Lord, you are right in every sense of the word. Lord, we aren't. Forgive us, Lord. But Father, we pray. I pray for people in this room who might not have put their trust in Jesus. Lord, let this be the day when we repent of ourselves, we repent of our self-righteousness, we repent of our efforts that are apart from you. Lord, we don't think of ourselves ever as having our own righteousness, but only yours, given. Help us, Lord. Help us to live in that humble state. Help us to live even wronged. Help us not to 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 scratch out, scream out, bite at other people, but to live in peace knowing that you've saved us from so much. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.